Thank you all. It's a privilege to be here. I think it was good to notice that my little oldest girl is four because she loves to point that out to everybody. Um, take that for what it is. So, without further ado, I'd ask you to open up your Bibles, and we're going to read from Acts, the book of Acts 11, verses 19 to 26. I'll be reading from the King James, but by all means, feel free to open up whatever copy you have in front of you, whether it's physical paper or a screen. Acts 11, verses 19 to 26. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. These tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him again unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. As we now consider the word of the God of God and the message, what it means for us, let us have a short prayer to ask for light from the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word, your glorious word, and Lord, for how it transforms the souls of your people and makes us ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that as we come to your word right now and wishing to meditate on it and, Lord, considering it, and as we seek to please and glorify Jesus Christ through these words and application in our lives, we pray, Lord, that you would give us light that that we so desperately need, that light from the Holy Spirit, that spirit that is still active today. And Lord, we pray that we can then consider your word to your honor and your glory. Keep away all sin and sinful thoughts. And we pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen. So church family, I preached this sermon on Pentecost, but I think it makes an even better post-Pentecost message. So maybe you think, well, this passage that we just read, what does that to do with Pentecost? And as you may well know, the whole book is ultimately about what Jesus Christ is doing in the church through his Holy Spirit, how he guides the church, how he steers the church. And Pentecost is no, uh, no exception from that. Pentecost is the mere beginning of the book of Acts. It speaks about how Christ is going to work in his church by spreading it abroad and through the world. But maybe you know that that Pentecost originally was a feast of first fruits. What does that mean, children? 
is that when Israel um, in Israel is in is in a warm climate and they usually have two harvests one at the beginning of the summer and one at the end and Pentecost was the feast that would be celebrated at the beginning of the summer when the first fruits were come in now what happened on this Pentecost after Jesus had ascended into heaven and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come on this Pentecost the Holy Spirit came and you know you read about these miracles about the tongues of fire and the disciples now speaking in all these different languages and then 3,000 people were saved and added to the church that was Pentecost but before we think that that was an isolated event something unique that happened on that day which it was we need to understand what Pentecost means for the rest of the book of Acts and not just for the rest of the book of Acts but even up until our very day Pentecost when 3,000 people were being saved those were the first fruits and those first fruits were an indication of what that great harvest at the end of the summer would be but that meant that the laborers of the church were to go out far beyond Israel to gather in that great harvest that is the meaning of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit as it were comes down manifests himself and doesn't just perform miracles for show he's telling the church I am equipping you I am empowering you for that great harvest now go out and gather in lost souls now it seems that the church in Jerusalem had understood this they had understood that there was going to be a great harvest but what seems to be prevalent in this church is still this Old Testament emphasis on drawing in the Gentiles they were to be this beautiful community with a strict set of rules and regulations and a way of life richly blessed of the Lord and the Gentiles would see it and come to them just like the Queen of Sheba had done but what we see in the Church of Antioch is the complete opposite in the Church of Antioch it seems that they came to understood the true meaning of the Great Commission rather than attracting the Gentiles to come in they started to reach out to them and what happens in this passage is absolutely crucial to the fulfillment of what began at Pentecost how the gospel is to spread into the world and it is therefore very re relevant not just to the Church of Jerusalem but to us today so what is it that we can learn from this passage how is what happened in Antioch back in the day still relevant to us that is what we wish to consider so the text is what we just read Acts 11 verse 19 to 26 and the theme this morning is post Pentecost from Judaistic sect to Christian Church and by that I do not mean that the early believers were a sect but they were seen as such by the Jewish community and likewise the Christian church was a label that was put on them by outsiders so from Judaistic sect to Christian church how did that come about well three points that's how we like to do it in our reformed tradition the initiative to evangelize the Gentiles blessed you will see this from verse 19 to 21 the work of the Spirit among the Gentiles recognized verse 22 to 24 and the Christian church established verse 25 and 26 
So first we see the initiative to evangelize Gentiles and how it is richly blessed. How, it, how did we end up in Antioch reading about disciples reaching out to Gentiles? And we need to go back just a little bit and you know of the stoning of Stephen. How right after that there was great persecution that came about in Jerusalem. And a lot of the early believers were driven out of Jerusalem, out of Israel, into foreign lands. What else precedes this passage is Peter. Remember, children, Peter had this vision where he would see this big sheet with all the animals in it. And he wasn't quite sure what to do with that. But right after that, God sends him to Cornelius. Now, Cornelius was a Roman. He was not Jewish. He was not even a proselyte. He was a true Roman with a Gentile family. And Peter goes there and he preaches the gospel to them. And as he's there, he sees the Holy Spirit falling on them. And he is so uh, convinced and, and impressed that he decides to baptize all of them right there on the spot. But then the church in Jerusalem hears about it. Peter, we need an explanation. What were you doing among those Gentiles? And Peter tells him the whole story. And essentially he's saying, the Holy Spirit drove me to do this. There's no denying. This was of God. And then the church makes this glorious testimony, which you can read in verse 18, this conclusion, where they say, Then has God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. It had dawned on them, the purpose of God. And it is at that point where we arrive at our passage. And what do we see next? Well, we see these initial evangelists, disciples, traveling outside of Israel. They've been driven out of their country, and they start to preach. And the, the word preaching here really means evangelize. So this is not, you know, preaching in an official setting. This is evangelizing in whatever way it was made possible to them. But they were doing so to the Jews only. This we read in verse 19. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice, that is modern day Lebanon, and Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. So they were essentially, having been driven out of Israel, providentially, they had now ended up in a country that was not their own. They were now in Gentile territory. This was new. The church is now entering into Gentile territory. And there, rather than sitting back and, and complaining and thinking, oh, we've been driven out of Jerusalem, we lost our possessions, we lost our jobs, we lost about everything, no. God had brought them into this new place, and well, I guess we get started again here. We're going to preach the gospel right here. That's what they did. And preaching they went, wherever they went, but to the Jews only. But then, we read about Hellenistic Jews who began to preach Christ to the Gentiles. This we read in verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch spake unto the Grecians, the Greeks, preaching the Lord Jesus. So some of these, these men, these 
people that arrived that had arrived in Antioch were Hellenistic Jews. Hellenistic Jews means they were Greek-speaking Jews. They were Jews that were born and raised outside of Israel, as we see here. Uh, Cyrene and, and, and Cyprus. Cyrene is modern-day Tunisia. So these were Jews that lived abroad, that had grown up in small Jewish communities, but they were surrounded by Gentiles. So they spoke Greek. That was the language of the day. And most likely, they were much more comfortable among Gentiles. And it was there in Antioch that they began to evangelize Gentiles, Greeks, non-Jews, not even proselytes, but people of the street that were totally not from their community. And this began in Antioch. Antioch, at this point, was the furthest outpost from the Church of Jerusalem. The youngest, newest church. Least experienced, you would think. And it was here where they understood the Great Commission to go out and make disciples of all nations. What drove them to do so is not spelled out in Scripture, but we can be sure that it was the Lord Jesus Christ at work in His church through His Holy Spirit driving them talk to the Gentiles and listen to what they preached they didn't preach circumcision they didn't preach Judaism they preached unto them the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Lord blessed it greatly in verse 21 we read and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. The hand of the Lord was with them. That's just another way of saying that the Lord was really empowering them. He was equipping them. And they saw the fruits of their labor. They saw many, many of the Gentiles. They believed. The Gentiles believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says they turned unto the Lord. Meaning that Jesus was now their Lord. And they had turned from their wicked ways. These were true genuine conversions the Gentiles were being saved so you have this beautiful new movement happening as you will in Antioch a new church young zealous the question here is this what was the greatest danger that was now threatening this young church at this moment and this we will see in our second point the work of the Holy Spirit among the Gentiles recognized. So first we see, when we come now in our passage, we see that the Church of Jerusalem decides to examine what is happening in Antioch. We read this in verse 22. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. So rumors of what was happening in Antioch, that the Gentiles were being preached to and that they were being saved, now reaches the church in Jerusalem. Now, we need to remember that this comes after they had heard Peter's testimony of what happened at Cornelius' house, after they had drawn the conclusion that the gospel indeed also applies to the Gentiles. So they sent Barnabas. 
and they send him to traverse is really the word being used. Traverse, he goes from place to place to place, visiting all these church plants and then to Antioch. So the church is not in a rush to send him straight to Antioch and immediately check on what's happening, but he has to go check. Trust, but verify is what we would say. And off he goes. And then he arrives in Antioch, and when he sees what's happening there, he rejoices. He rejoices when he saw the Holy Spirit at work among the Gentiles. This we read in verse 23. Who, Barnabas, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. So Barnabas comes into this community. He meets these new people. He sees what's happening. And first of all, he recognizes. He recognizes that this is God at work, the grace of God at work in the hearts of these new disciples. What we saw was genuine spirit-worked faith, and he recognized it as such. We need to understand how, how important that is. He he had to look through beyond his Jewish biases and recognize that what was happening among these people was really the work of God. And that God was starting to, be, to, to fulfill his promises of the gospel going to the Gentiles, going to all nations. He is seeing it happening for the first time before his eyes. And then when he sees this, he rejoices. He rejoices in the grace of God among the Gentiles. Now, when you look at the structure of this text, and I'm not going to go into details here, but this really is the climax of this whole passage. That he was happy and glad and rejoicing in what was happening when God was saving the Gentiles. This is the emphasis of this passage. We need to understand he comes into this new community and it includes foreigners, people that are completely unlike him, people that had been excluded by the Jewish community, that they were saw that is the bad world out there. They, they do not belong to us. God is at work right here in our church, not among them. But now these people are coming into the church and God is at work among them. And Barnabas sees it, and he is glad, he is happy. He greatly rejoices. And then, realizing these people are ignorant in so many ways, they just come out of the world, they didn't have the kind of education that most of the Jewish people had, he had to exhort them, he had to encourage them, he had to teach them for some time to do what? Okay. Now you've joined the church. Let's get circumcised. Let's join our community. Here's all the set of rules, all the Levitical laws, all the rites, all the rituals. None of that. He exhorts them. He urges them to abide in the faith of Jesus Christ. Here we see God's providence, how God was at work by even causing the church of Jerusalem to send somebody like Barnabas. Barnabas was the right man for the job. 
We read this in verse 24, the first part. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Barnabas himself was a Hellenistic Jew. He had come from Cyprus. He was born outside of Israel, probably spoke Greek really well. And then it says that he was a good man. And good here meaning he was gentle. He was friendly, amiable. And as we know, he is also very generous. But not just with money. He was also spiritually generous. He was a man who likes to encourage. He is a man who allowed for second chances. As you continue reading, this is exactly what he will do with John Mark. Barnabas was not somebody who was quick to condemn, quick to judge. But before we think that Barnabas was, Barnabas was just such a special man, such a great character, it follows and it says that he was full of the Holy Ghost. Now what does that mean? Simply, Barnabas knew Scripture. He was saturated with Scripture. And not only did he know it, he believed it. And because he believed it, by the power of the Holy Ghost, that scripture had transformed him. It had made him Christ-like. Knowing and applying scripture in your life will make you Christ-like. It will fill you with the Holy Ghost. And that is what happened to Barnabas. And because Barnabas was a man who was filled with the Holy Ghost, he was able to discern the true work of the Holy Spirit when he looked at others. He knew what to look for. He knew the true marks of faith. And he recognized it here in Antioch. And when he saw it, he rejoiced. Had the church of Jerusalem sent some miserly, legalistic Judaists, which we know were present in the community of Jerusalem. Had they sent one of those, they would have come to Antioch, seen what happens there, and maybe they would have, maybe not condemned the people right away, but they definitely would have kept on some distance here. Let's see if this is really, really true. How are you going to prove that? Circumcision. Become a proselyte. Become like us. Do like us. Follow our ways of life. And then we'll know whether or not this is real. It would have nipped this movement right in the bud. It would have been the end of it. Right there. And this is what would have been the greatest danger to the church in Antioch. Simply the wrong person with the wrong attitude coming along to teach them. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit sent Barnabas, one who was spiritually discerning and spiritually generous. So having seen them, how the Holy Spirit was caring for this church, nurturing it, sending Barnabas, a spiritually generous Barnabas. Now we need to consider what difference is that spiritual generosity going to make? in this new church and in all churches also of today that we will consider in our third point the Christian church established so after Barnabas arrives 
more Gentiles were added to the church. Verse 24b, and much people was added unto the Lord. So this church has now benefited from Barnabas' exhortation. He's been there. He's been teaching them. He's been, he's been urging them to abide in the faith. He is sure he has explained a lot of things. This new church kept momentum. It wasn't like, okay, Barnabas, you've told us everything. Let's, let's, let's take a break here now. Let's, let, let's just learn a little bit more. We've arrived. We're now an established church. No. They kept witnessing. And God continued to bless it. More and more people were being added unto the church. And as this church grows, and as this church becomes established, we see Barnabas again displaying this Christ-like character. He was not seeking his own honor, but he starts to remember Paul. He could be really useful here. We read this, verse 25 and 26. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. Paul also was a Hellenistic Jew. Paul had come from Tarsus. And Barnabas might have recognized in Paul, whom he had met earlier, that Paul was specifically called by God to be a witness unto the Gentiles. And seeing, Barnabas seeing what's happening here in Antioch, he realizes we need Paul here. He could be of real good use. Barnabas was not seeking his own honor. He goes to Tarshish, and the word seeking here means he was looking all over the place. Likely Saul was already going around preaching in different places. Barnabas will not give up until he finds Paul. At one point he could have just gone home, back to Antioch, and immediately become the most important teacher in Antioch. But no, he had to have Paul there with him. And he brings him into Antioch, and together they ministered to the church for about a year. Together they ministered. It's not that Paul comes in and now Paul all of a sudden is the most important one. No, their desire was not their own glory. They saw the needs of the church. And that's what mattered to them. They wanted to minister to them together. Showing Christ-like leadership. They were witnessing and teaching to this young and zealous church. And as a result of all that, we see the first Christian church established in Antioch as a result of that initial outreach to the Gentiles. We read this in verse 26, the second part. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So together, Paul and Barnabas were preaching and instructing the many people of this new church. We see regular worship services being held. They're now established. And now the society starts to see them. They become visible. And then we read that the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. How did that come about? Why is that important? Why does that matter? Well, first of all, we see that this church 
was a motley crew of all sorts of people of all walks of life, of all different backgrounds. You already noticed when in Acts 13, verse 1, you read of the leaders of the church in Antioch, and it shows its diversity. There was Barnabas, there was Saul, but there was also Simeon Niger. And as the name suggests, he probably was a man from sub-Saharan Africa. Lucius of Cyrene. Lucius is a very Roman name. There was Menaean. Menaean was Herod's relative. That was the leadership of the church. People from outside the city, the city people could look at this church and they saw a community of people, but they could not put a label on it. They were not a Jewish sect because now there were Gentiles. They were not a club for the poor because there's royalty among them. They were not a club for the rich because we had poor people among them. It was not a club for the white, for the black, for anything else. It was not a club for, for slaves or the free. What was it that brought them together? And, and you think our society is segmented, which it is. But this ancient society was so segmented, so, such a class society, so hierarchical. To them, people from different classes would not associate. If you were different than somebody else, you would not associate with them. But here you had this group, and they were all hanging out together, and they loved each other, and they cared for each other. So they gave them the label Christians. Christians, little Christs. That's what they call them. It was very unusual in this society to be called after your religion. The Romans wouldn't have it. But here it happened. Because there was no other label that fit this group. They were followers of Jesus Christ. That was the only thing that brought them together. And it had happened because the community because the members of this church started to reach out to the Gentiles indiscriminately. And as such, we have now a church, the first Christian church. Do you see how the Holy Spirit was directing the church? How it was drawing in people from all walks of life. He had pushed the disciples out of Jerusalem, into Gentile lands, and urging them to preach to the Gentiles. Then Barnabas comes along and recognizes what the Holy Spirit is doing, and he celebrates. And then we have the disciples, strengthened by the teaching of Barnabas and Saul, Paul, continuing to witness. And people continuing to be added onto the church. And the result, the disciples in Antioch were first called Christians. There. The Christian church is now an established fact. So how did Antioch differ from Jerusalem? How did the spiritual generosity make a difference? Continuing reading through the book of Acts and also through the epistles, 
we see how the Jerusalem church struggled with this question. They already questioned Peter's actions and his motives. And they continued to struggle when, when they would hear of Gentiles being added in. There were always those who got angry and said, well, you're teaching them the, the ways against the law of Moses. These people aren't being, becoming like us. We're not proselytizing them. They continue to struggle against the issue of legalism and Judaism. But here's Antioch. They were spiritually generous. They knew the gospel had to go out to all people. And soon enough, it was Antioch that would be sending out the first missionaries into the world. As Jerusalem would continue to decline, Antioch would become the next center of Christianity for centuries to come. That was the difference. That is what spiritual generosity will do to your church. Recognizing that God works among all people. So how is this relevant to us? How does this apply? Well, first of all, if you are a true believer, this narrative should stir your heart, shouldn't it? When you see the kingdom of God go out into this world and save souls from all nations. That should not provoke us to jealousy. It should, it should be a reason for us to celebrate, to rejoice. But when you read this narrative, is your heart, my heart, not stirred? Do you desire to have the boldness of these initial disciples, these, these, these evangelists who went out and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever they went? They were evangelizing at work, at home, out in the market, wherever. That boldness should be our longing to be likewise. And maybe some of you are. I, I struggle with that. Also, when you read of this Christ-like character of Barnabas, would you not want to be like that? As Barnabas reflected the image of his Lord and Savior, do you wish to be like that? And would you wish for your church to be a manifestation of Christian love like this church in Antioch? It's my first time here. I've already commented to some of the people here. I look, look at you and you guys are a very diverse crowd. It's good to see. It's very good to see. Do you wish your church to be like that church in Acts, like that church in Antioch? Because our society, our society is very similar to that of Antioch. It is secular. It is materialistic. It is very, very divided today. We all know that. And what is the temptation of many Christians nowadays? Is to pick up the fight politically, or out on social media, denouncing opponents. Having this black and white imagery of everything, that if it comes from one side, it must be wrong. If it comes from the other side, it must be right. There's no in-between. Is that what we as Christians are called upon to do? To fight?
We need evangelists like these initial disciples. We need Christ-like leaders like Barnabas and Paul. And we need churches like that of Antioch. The question is, can our society look at our church, this church, my church, and have no other label to put upon us than that of Christian? Or would you rather have your church be labeled by the things that makes us special and exclusive to others? We're conservative. We're reformed. We're this. We're that. And because we're this and that, we're most certainly not that. Something else. Whatever it is. Or do you wish your label to be Christian? And more importantly, we know the church is made up of individuals. And in order for a Christian church to be a Christian church, its members have to be Christians. Can the outside community look at you and me and say, there goes a Christian? That is the most important question that we need to answer this morning. Are we walking around in this society recognizable as Christians? Not because of what kind of clothes we wear or the way we talk necessarily, but how we act with others and the message that we proclaim of Jesus Christ unto others. That's where the real challenge comes in. Now, when we then look at this narrative and we see what's happening in Acts in, 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 this, in this church of Antioch, don't you wonder, this level of idealistic Christianity, it, it seems so, so good here in Antioch, but also in the, earlier church of, uh, the, the early church of Jerusalem. And, and we wonder, is this, is this still attainable to us? Can, can we reach that standard? Well, the first thing we need to be careful not to do is look at the traits of these men, the skills of these men, and then compare ourselves to them. Oh, look at Barnabas. He's, so, he's, he's just such a genuine character. And then Paul, he was so wise and intellectual. But it doesn't take extraordinary characters to make a church. What it takes is Christ-likeness. Barnabas was filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because Barnabas was a sinner who was saved by Jesus Christ. That was the gospel message that he believed. That was the gospel message that he was busy with. He spent time in the Word of God. He let it saturate himself and he let it rule his life because Jesus was his Lord. That's what guided his actions. That's what guided his words and his motives and his thoughts. And we are called upon to pursue that same Christ-likeness. You don't get those traits of yourself. To be a genuine Christian is the work of the Holy Spirit. And here we get back to Pentecost. Pentecost initiated that new era where the Holy Spirit made it clear to the church in Jerusalem, I am going to empower you 
to go out into this world and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And today, despite everything that's going on, especially in this month, we are still in this era. We are still in the post-Pentecost era. And the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit is still as much available to us as it was to them back 2,000 years ago. Do you, do I want to be transformed by the Holy Spirit? To be Christ-like? To be a reflection of His image? wherever you go. Then your task is very simple. Don't just go home and pick up a megaphone and start shouting from the corners. There's a time and a place for that. But where we need to start is right here in His Word. Pray for the light of the Holy Spirit to let that Word transform you and be intentional about being made like Christ. Don't use this word to sort of settle you in your ways of life and to sort of confirm to you that every, 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 all these preconceived notions that we have about other people are right. Let this word transform you and me by the power of the Holy Spirit and then pray to be transformed in such a way that you may be used in the kingdom of Christ. Because that is the life of gratitude. Gratitude, when you realize what it means to have been saved from your sins, what Jesus Christ has done for you, this is our reasonable service to Him. To be His ambassador, to be witnesses of Jesus Christ in this world. This level of idealistic Christianity is therefore a reason for us for self-examination. I find this a very convicting passage. I don't know about you. But I find this very convicting because it calls upon me and it calls upon all of us to discern our motives. It's really easy to go to a church and to be surrounded by like-minded people where everybody's kind of like us and doing the same things, thinking the same things. It's much more challenging to come into a diverse community, and I'm already seeing this here, where people might have completely different opinions than you have and different views of life, different backgrounds. And you're called upon to love one another to care for one another so that the world can look at you and say, what in the world is it that brings these people back together on Sunday morning, loving each other, hugging each other? It's the Master, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because to, true, to unbelievers, this is not attractive. When you're being forced to come out of your comfort zone and be Christ-like, Unbelievers can talk a lot about social justice and about diversity and all of that. As long as we can let everybody do what they want to do in their own respective places and we don't have to interact too much and they don't have to come into our lives, we don't have to come into their lives, so we don't have to change. But true Christianity speaks about the transformation of the heart, about crucifying the flesh. And in doing so, not let everybody else live in sin. 
but to all be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. To have that one thing in common. That we may be made like Jesus Christ. But then we know. Christ is still on the throne. The spirit of Pentecost is still among us. Pentecost was but the first fruits. The harvest is truly great. The labors are few. We are all called upon and challenged this morning to be filled with that same spirit of Pentecost through the appointed means of grace. And we are called upon to join our fellow saints of the church of Antioch in the ingathering of Christ's church because he is worthy. Jesus is worthy of our whole life and our witness for him. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ that has the power to make us Christ-like and to make us ambassadors for him. Father, we pray, therefore, help us to continue to crucify the flesh and to follow and to be obedient to your word when it calls upon us to speak about Christ. Please, Lord, apply this message by the power of your Holy Spirit. Will you be with us in the remainder of this day? Will you keep us from sin, Lord, and bring us into your house again next time to hear your word? We pray all this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power <clears throat> at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Amen. Awesome.